This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Wow. 100 shows. That's where we are. Welcome to the 100th edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and on the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Man, a hundred shows. I didn't really know what we were going to do for this one a couple of months ago. And then I had something in mind. We were going to talk with whomever won the mayor's race. And I had a little conversation with Sharon Weston Broom, who is now the mayor-elect, but it didn't really pan out. And so it won't happen now. I guess sometime in the near future, we may get an opportunity to talk with her. Uh, I've got some thoughts about the mayor's race and really the aftermath of the mayor's race and what we can expect or what we should be looking for in the coming year. Wow, 2016 has been one hell of a year for all of us, right? And, you know, we've talked a lot about what has happened in and around Louisiana and in other parts of the country and uh, in the nation as a whole over the last nearly 100 weeks of doing podcasts. I think so many of you who have given me feedback on this show. This started as an idea a couple of years ago. I wanted to do this, launch a podcast site and really grow it into something. And we are still working on that aspect of it, growing it into something. But we now have the Waiting Room podcast that we're so happy to have on the site, hosted by Dr. Mary Catherine Rodriguez and Katie Fetzer. They do such a great job. I had an opportunity to be the guest on their show uh, earlier this month and we want to have other shows on this site it it isn't just about mine we want to be able to reach a very wide audience and I've heard from people who are interested in having podcasts and 2017 will bring some new and dynamic shows to the site we hope Uh, we built a studio here to be able to accommodate people coming in to do the podcasts and in addition it's it's, it helps what I do with my marketing and advertising company. We get people in here all the time. We do a lot of radio for clients all over the state. And, you know, we want this to be something special. And when I started, I just wanted to be able to still have dialogue about what's happening in our society. I did talk radio for so long, and I don't miss some of the politics I don't miss some of the BS. I don't miss having consultants who don't live where I am telling me what the hell I ought to be saying and who the audience is. It's like, how, how do you know? Shut up. I don't miss that kind of stuff. What I really wanted to do is be able to have dialogue with newsmakers and cover things that people care about. And I didn't need somebody in my ear trying to program me. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this a long time. And... I've been blessed to be able to do it well because I take it so seriously. And so I said, you know, what the hell? Let's just launch a podcast site. Let's make it top rate, first class, and let's talk with people who are decision makers or newsmakers or just entertaining personalities like my buddy Richard Condon or Kenny Bolin, the former pro wrestler who has been our guest on the show, and he's going to be back again. And so we've done that. We've spoken to members of Congress. We've spoken to members of the legislature. We've spoken to business owners. My buddy John Fabry has been a guest on the show. John Conroy has been a guest on the show. My goodness, we've, ta- we've spoken to authors and motivational people. Julio Malera has been on the show a couple of times, and he's just such an inspiring person. You know, we've spoken to the wives recently. Our last show was with the widows of these officers killed on July 17th of this year. We spoke to the aunt of Alton Sterling on this show. We've uh, we, Sharon Broom, who is now the mayor-elect, has been a guest on this show. City council members. I mean, it's, it's really been a great journey, and I look forward to sitting down in this room and talking with people, either live in studio or over the phone. My buddy David Savona has been a guest on the show with Cigar Aficionado magazine. I mean, we have told you about the Smokem events. We have been around to cover them, and it's been great to be able to share this with you and be on this journey with you. And this is mostly something that we've promoted largely on social media. We're rolling out a more universal campaign for this thing next year. 
Uh, we're planning for the first quarter of 17. And I'm hoping that you enjoy it. If there's something that you would like to hear or if you have any thoughts, I mean, you can always email me, clay at podcast225.com or just message me on Facebook as so many people have. People have asked to be guests on the show and we, we take all comers. We tell them, when you come in here, we're going to have a real conversation. I have had, have had people ask me for questions in advance and I don't do that. I'll tell you the general direction of what we're going to talk about. And, you know, I don't deviate from that unless something happens in the conversation that opens up another dialogue. But I don't script questions. I do research. And I mean, that's kind of my that's how I roll when I do talk shows. And so 100 shows in, I am very proud of what we have been able to accomplish here. And I think there is more to come. I think we can get better at it. And we hope to. Our guest on this week's show is Commissioner of Administration Jay Darden. Jay was guest number one on the show when he was the lieutenant governor. And he was guest number 50 on this show as a candidate for governor. And we've spoken once or twice in between. And I think we got this thing working. I figured I was going to have him on the show number 100 anyway, even if we had another guest, because I just felt it appropriate And he's been a friend of mine for a very long time. And we have a conversation about what's happening in Louisiana. And I think this is a conversation you're going to want to hear. We talk about jobs. We talk about taxes. We talk about optimism and the future of the state from the perspective of the everyday citizen and business owner. We talk about education, state contracts. We talk about FEMA. We talk about mental health in Louisiana, and I give some statistics on where Louisiana ranks in terms of poverty rates. Uh, He talks about the relationship with the legislature and Governor John Bell Edwards' perspective on how to get things done. It's a really good conversation with Commissioner Darden, and that's coming up in just a moment. But first, a couple of other thoughts. Last night, as I sit to record this, I was at the courthouse with the BRAVE program, which is an anti-violence program that's run in Baton Rouge by District Attorney Hiller Moore. And they have had nine of these kinds of sessions. And by the way, D.A. Moore has been a guest on our show as well. But we've had nine of those kinds of sessions. And I think I've been to all of them. And so what it is, is you have the District Attorney's Office, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the chief of police and the sheriff's office there. You have people from the community, some ministers, some business owners, some people who are just involved in trying to help young people. And then you've got young men who are already in the system. Some of, and I mean already in the system, meaning that they're in the courtroom in orange and irons. They're wearing the orange jumpsuits and they're in shackles. And then you have other young men who are sitting kind of in the gallery area of the courtroom where they're with their mothers or guardians. And in some cases, they're there alone because they range in ages from what appears because we don't get personal information on these kids. But it appears from maybe 13 up to 18 or 19. And all of the law enforcement people talk about the opportunities that these young men have in the room. Now, let me tell you what they offer them. For many of these kids who are in these, they they don't call them gangs, but they they call them groups. But in, in effect, they're gangs. They tell them, listen, we're gonna give you some options here. If you choose to walk away from what you're doing, we'll walk away from this thing And we'll let you go on about your business as long as you agree not to commit any more crimes. In addition to that, they say, if you haven't graduated from high school, we will help you get a high school diploma. If you have a drug addiction, we will help you get into some kind of rehab or program that will help you with that addiction. There are also businesses that have offered to hire some of these young men if they choose to take advantage of what the program is offering. The other option is you keep doing what you're doing. You're here because we know who you are. We know where you are. We know who your friends are. And we're going to get you. 
So starting tomorrow, if you hit the streets doing what you've been doing, you'll be back here, but this time not in a courtroom trying to be pumped up to do the right thing. You'll be in a courtroom facing a judge, likely going up the, up the river for a little while. And folks, some of these kids, some of these young men, all black, by the way, couldn't care less. They look at you and it's nothing. A few of us get in there and we talk to them and they couldn't care less. Less than half of these kids take advantage of what this program offers. Mothers are in the room crying, almost begging these boys to take advantage of it. And for the first time yesterday, after one of these, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm late getting into there because the traffic here sucks so bad. So I'm already pissed because I'm late when I'm getting there. But I'm, I get a chance because we generally have some camaraderie with the groups of you know, law enforcement and some of the other speakers and people who are friends of mine before the event. I didn't get a chance to see any of that. I just get in there. I walk right into the courtroom and I, I end up being one of the speakers. But before I spoke, I'm just watching these kids, these young men. And I, I for the first time, I... I I did ask myself, is this worth it? Is it worth me coming out here at 7 o'clock at night? Now, I've been doing this for like 25 years. I've spent 25 years of my life trying to give back, speaking to groups, volunteering, writing checks, encouraging people who run these groups. I mean, I've been in, this is not new. I've been in these trenches for a long, long time. Lots of things that I I do and am a part of don't have to be public because I'm not doing it for credit. But normally it's, you leave away sometimes shaking your head saying it's a tough fight. But last night I'm thinking, is it a worthwhile fight? And I guess I had to really think about that. And the answer is yes, but for a couple of reasons. Some of these kids only do what they know. And they don't really know how to be anything different or do anything different because it's what they know. Others of these kids, if you don't try to save them, you need to at least identify them because they don't need to be on the streets. I know that's not politically correct, but they just don't. They'll slit your throat and watch you bleed out. And not hiccup, throw up, or shed a tear. Remorseless. Hopeless. They don't need to be on the streets. But if any among them is redeemable, I think you have to try. Now, I know lots of people say, hey, Clay, you're wasting your time. It really doesn't matter. You're not going to make a difference. But history is filled with people who turned their lives around because of the efforts of someone who cared. We idealize and lift up the people throughout history who cared about those who were in a bad way. But it is a survival game in the streets for these kids. The schools have to find a way to keep them. Across the state of Louisiana, 
Only 74% of Louisiana's kids graduate high school. And depending on where you are in the state, that number is substantially lower. In terms of the young men in the room yesterday in Baton Rouge and East Baton Rouge Parish, only 55% of black males graduate from high school. And what do you think they're going to end up doing if they don't have skills and a job or a purpose? And so many politicians, and this is, and I got lots of friends who are elected to office, and very few that I know actually give a crap. It's all just BS. Copy, paste, repeat. BS Monday, BS Tuesday, BS Wednesday, BS Thursday, BS Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Back to the BS. And the reason I say that is because of the lack of specifics that come out of government. And there are people who do it. I'm certainly not putting everybody in the same bag. But I mean, when I say specifics, I'm talking about from the perspective of somebody in business. A clear solution to a problem. And a plan to execute that solution. Period. And it's going to take leadership to help deal with some of these young folks. And I hope we have the balls to do it. The president-elect is right when he talked about how bad the inner city is. The joblessness. The children who are not being parented. That's not a Republican or Democratic thing. That's a reality thing. And the larger the bottom gets, the more strain it puts on the top and the middle. There are always going to be people who are poor, who don't want to work, who want to do drugs, who want to be deadbeats, all of this. You can't save everybody. You can't fix everybody. In fact, when it comes to most of the adults, I mean, you just kind of let them wallow, (laughs) wallow in their own crap. But when it comes to these kids, I think we ought to try to give them a shot. And programs that babysit them and occupy them are not programs that serve them well. Exposing children to bigger, better is one way to get them and keep them. Like I always say, once you've had good prime rib, pork chops just don't look the same. And that's one thing we need to be doing for our kids. The other thing that I I will talk about here is the negativity of social media and society as a whole. I'll keep this one short. All of you who look down your timeline at people with criticisms and negativity every day, all day long, they're criticizing somebody, they are tearing somebody down, do yourself a favor, block them. That is all. Again, thank you guys so much for subscribing to the show. Those of you who have subscribed, If you have not, you can subscribe via your iOS device. You can get to that through the podcast 225 website. Uh, If you don't have an Apple device, you can just simply log on to the show and download it from the website. And you can hear this show and the Waiting Room podcast here on podcast225.com. Up next, my conversation with Louisiana's Commissioner of Administration, Jay Darden, here on the 100th edition of The Clay Young Show. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. 
If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 2 to 5 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial. Brian, one of the biggest roadblocks to people meeting with a financial advisor is fear and skepticism about not knowing what you're going to talk with them about. Let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, the truth is you don't know what you don't know. Right. Smart people go through their life 20, 30 years of working Mm -hmm. and don't know the ins and outs of income planning. Right. Uh, They are concerned about who to talk to. Uh, They are fearful to know what they don't know. Right. Uh, The truth is coming in with an open mind. Uh, we'll get you through it. I'm an educator. Yeah. I'm going to get on the dry erase board and walk you through these options. So when people sit with me, they say, Brian, you make it sound so simple. Right. We're going to make uh, complicated things simple to understand, and you'll walk out getting a peace of mind. And that's what women need today is a peace of mind. If you're out there thinking about your life, life changes, when to retire, when to get married, the point being is give me a call. We'll get you through it and figure out your next step. You can look Brian and his team up online. It's brianlowfinancial.com. brianlowfinancial.com. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Back with the Commissioner of Administration for the state of Louisiana, Jay Darden. And we got this thing going now. We've done more than these shows that I'm about to mention. But Jay was my first guest on the podcast. And He was the 50th guest on the podcast, and we can't get to number 100 without having the man back. I I don't really believe in luck and all that, but if I did, man, I think we got a good thing going. How are you? Well, I was honored to be first, and I'm certainly honored to be 100. And you've had a lot of great successes and, and, and good folks in between. So I'm, I'm doing well, and I'm, I'm happy to visit with you. Well, the first thing we want to ask is, you know, how's your health? You and I spoke about this a little bit last week, but for the benefit of those who haven't had the chance to hear from you or about how you're doing, how's it going? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm very fortunate and, and feeling great and, and um, looking forward to next year. I, I really do feel good. I, I felt I really I never felt bad before my little episode, but um, it was just kind of uh, very sudden. But I'm but I'm doing well. You know, Louisiana is in an interesting place right now. We came through this early part of the year trying to deal with all of the financial issues we had. We had you know, all these sessions, the session and then the special sessions trying to address our financial future. And then the central part of the state took a big blow to the gut with all of the flooding. And at least in the interim, product costs went up. People are buying supplies, putting their homes and businesses back together. And so that will have a sales tax benefit. But, Jay, I've spoken to a number of people in different parishes, and they're worried about the property tax, the property tax aspect of what 2017 is going to look like. Any insight there? I think they're concerned with good reason. I think we're already seeing in, in the affected parishes assessors having a difficult time trying to figure out how in the world do I value property right now. We've got such a layer of uncertainty, particularly, for example, in Livingston Parish, of, of uh, you know what's going to happen to so many of those homes, and it's going to it's going to create a great deal of uncertainty and and some probably some inconsistency in, in valuations, but. Um, but we'll get through it. The, the assessors know what they're doing, and, and they realize that there's been some devaluation as a result of the floods and, and the uncertainty as to who's going to rebuild and how quickly it'll happen. Um, and those those affect local governments. Uh, the property taxes are not uh, local. Local property taxes are generate dollars for local government. They're not. They don't affect the state's budget. Uh, but clearly, the the unemployment level statewide and the damage from the floods and the the um, Slow corporate tax receipts for the state all have a bearing on on what is what we now know, and that is that we have a significant deficit in the current fiscal year. Revenues are not meeting projections, and so we're going to have the same song, second verse here in the second year of the Edwards administration with with more budget challenges. How do you address that? And I want to get to homeowners in just a moment, but when you look at that scenario where you guys. We're almost tapped out in options to create revenue, and then this thing happens. Where do you go to get more money now? There's not a whole lot of places to go. Last year, the unfortunate reality was that we we had to have sales sales taxes raised in order to generate the money quickly to offset the deficit that was anticipated for the last year. 
even though the added penny came on the rolls and, and almost well over a billion dollars in taxes were raised by the legislature, we find ourselves in a situation where we still ended last fiscal year with a 300 plus million dollar shortfall, and we're facing a similar uh, shortfall in the current budget year. I mean, this is this is the continued result of, of inappropriate budget practices over the course of the past eight years that built a recurring budget on one-time money that simply isn't coming back. And, and we stopped that practice. We're not, we're not going to budget for recurring expenses based on one-time money. And the reality is, given the size of the state's budget and the amount that the legislature has approved to spend, the revenue simply aren't keeping up with the planned expenditures. What is the working relationship with the legislature in this endeavor? You guys are going to have to work together to get this done. Has it been smooth? Has it been contentious? What, how is it? I would say it's it's somewhere between smooth and contentious. I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's been a contentious relationship, but by the same token, it hadn't been absolutely smooth sailing. I mean, you've got a um, a Republican majority in the legislature, many of whom are, are simply against any increases in taxes, which I understand the, that philosophical bent, but I also recognize the reality that we have to deal with in trying to make certain we do what people want government to do. And, and we've continued to, to reduce government. This, this governor came in cutting the budget before there were any tax increases, and we're going to continue to make those kind of cuts, and we're continuing to manage, I think, wisely and, and appropriately, um, given the, the challenges that we're facing from a budget standpoint. You being a conservative and the governor being a little bit left of center Democrat, we don't have any wacko, um, hard, hard left Democrats in Louisiana in terms of fiscal issues. But with your philosophical um, differences or, or just being on, on opposite ends of that spectrum, take us into the room when you and he are talking about the game plan? I mean, do you, what's that like? I don't consider him uh, left of center when it comes to fiscal matters at all. He, he's he's governed in many respects in, a, in the, the way I think I would have governed or another Republican would have governed, trying to be uh, consistent in the way you budget, trying to stabilize what has been a, a terribly erratic situation. And, and I think he's, he is approaching things very much from a conservative standpoint, trying to make reductions where appropriate, um, but at the same time, being honest about this budget. And that's the big difference we're seeing. We're talking honestly about where we are in the budget. If we want to continue the services that are in the budget, we have to have the revenue to do it. Uh, the behind-the-scenes look, if you will, is not going to really surprise anybody. We have a great dialogue, and I have a very good staff. Um, and our planning and budget office is very professional and very good in, in terms of um, analyzing where dollars need to be spent, where cuts can be made, and, and we, have a, we have a very good working relationship in, uh, in terms of trying to strategize about what the budget will look like as well as implementing the budget once it's enacted by the legislature. Many in the business community early on in the, in the Edwards administration were very verbal about their trepidation about his ideology and his approach going forward a lot of that has subsided with the job done and some of the things that we frankly dealt with since he was elected but what about the business community you know lobby and and all of these groups that were so out front afraid about what he might do as has that relationship working relationship improved or is it about the same well, I think it's. I think there's a growing respect for the governor because of his candor and the way that he deals with issues and the way that he handles things. And and I think I think he's earned that respect uh, from the business community. Uh, obviously, from an ideological standpoint, the, the business community uh, is looking out for business. I mean, that's right. what they're doing. Their right. effort is to try and make sure that they don't pay a disproportionate amount of taxes compared to individuals or other entities. And so there's always going to be a give and take, and there's always going to be advocacy on the part of the business community to, to try and minimize tax burdens and create a more favorable business climate. And I think there's a recognition that this administration is trying to do the same thing. Um, the governor certainly came in and made some bold moves when it came to the industrial tax exemption, you know, with his executive order that um, that has made some very significant modifications in how that exemption is being granted, giving local governments much more say than they ever had, uh, and, and to try to say, you know, we want to entice business to come here with appropriate tax incentives and credits, but by the same token, we recognize that, that we have to make certain that the tax base 
particularly the property tax base, uh, for local parishes is is protected. And, and we can't simply um, give away every single uh, tax break if it's going to potentially impact negatively the ability of a school district, for example, to, to function. You know, one of the things when you look at the future of Louisiana, you talked about how we really didn't build over the last eight years. Last year saw a ni- almost t- 20% poverty rate, and across Louisiana, we're ranked 44th in the nation with high school graduation at about 74%, 6.4% unemployment rate last year. Who knows what this year is going to, going to look like going forward. Here's a question. We want to keep our best and brightest here. We want our retirees to stick around a little bit longer. How do you give them the kind of optimism that isn't just bromides, but it's some, something specific that they can put their hands on and say, hey, it's tough, but Louisiana is moving in the right direction? I don't think there's any question that the main barometer are, is jobs and the ability to create new jobs, and, and that's been a challenge for us. The main reason we continue to see uh, problems with our budget, there's certainly structural issues with the way in which we we impose taxes in Louisiana and the way in which we grant so many credits and exclusions and exemptions and deductions. But the underlying problem is unemployment, and and that is in many respects driven by the oil and gas industry. Even though, for example, mineral revenue in Louisiana for the state is is about 10 percent of our budget, it used to be 42 percent in the mm-hmm. heyday of the oil industry in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Our our over dependence upon mineral revenue has waned through the years, but there's no question that the industry itself has a domino effect on the state's economy. And when the when oil prices are down and drilling is stopping and production is lacking, you, you see problems with the economy. And we're, I think that is one of the main contributors to the to the kind of statewide difficulty we're having uh, with our with our unemployment numbers. And I think that's the most important thing we can try and turn around is get people back working, then they're paying taxes, they're buying things, and, and that's going to uh, be an overall improvement for the economy. You, outside of Baton Rouge and Lake Charles, uh, the state's unemployment rates are not good. Baton right. Rouge is, is, is really hopping, and Lake Charles, of course, is a story unto itself. Mm-hmm. The price of natural gas and the tremendous explosion of, of jobs and, and plants that are being uh, constructed uh, along the, co- the southwestern coast of Louisiana. But I think it comes back to creating jobs and creating an atmosphere in the state that, that people have confidence in their governor, government and, and in their governor as well. And this is a governor who I think people generally recognize as doing things for the right reasons. He's not interested in his own self-promotion. He's doing what he said he was going to do. He's being honest when it comes to the budget. He's working hard. He's out there uh, talking to people and listening to people. And I think that's that's the first and foremost what people want and expect from their, their leaders. It's been interesting to watch the last year. I don't think he did. He never had a honeymoon period because here in the and the capital city, six months into taking office, we had all the upheaval here with the Alton Sterling shooting. And then three weeks or so later, uh, we had these three officers. Uh, well, really, four officers shot that day. And I think morale was waning. And then the floods. What about and I want to go back to that again for communities that are so divided over so many things, that has an impact on your ability to do your job. When people aren't confident, when there is all this you know, collateral division uh, or peripheral di- division, it does make the job harder. So speak to that if you don't mind for me. Well, there's no question this was a, a has been a challenging year. Not only was there no honey, there was no honeymoon from day one. I mean, we we took office almost a year ago now facing a $2 billion shortfall in the state's budget. I mean, proposing an executive budget that was literally cutting things by 60-plus percent uh, unless and until there was additional revenue raised. And and no governor, and certainly not this governor, despite what his opponents will say, come into office wanting to raise taxes. I mean, this was done out of necessity because we simply weren't going to continue the budget practices of relying on one-time money and sweeping funds and misrepresenting to the public the stability of the budget. And so reality can hurt, and, and reality proved to be very difficult. And as you say, the not only the shootings and the, and the floods taking place, coupled with three, diff, three legislative sessions, uh, is made for a very difficult and taxing year. But by the same token, we all in, in this administration remain very optimistic about where we're going in the state and what we can do to make some fundamental changes that will improve 
some of those numbers that you were referring to earlier. We've got to do something to reduce poverty in Louisiana. We've got to change educational outcomes. Uh, We've got to create positive job growth. We've got to deal with some of the health challenges that we face, everything from sexually transmitted disease to obesity and diabetes, where we have um, we're at the top of the list in so many of these areas in terms of the incidence uh, of these diseases and these problems nationally. And, and we're better than that, and we can do better than that. You know, you couple, and, and we were talking about the poverty rate through this year so far, it's at 19.6%. And just so people will understand, that's the percentage of families who bring home uh, an income of less than $25,000 a year, which you think about that, that's hard for one person to survive on, let alone a family of four. And that kind of dovetails into conversation about education and improving schools and, and school infrastructure and the cost of education. We have a top-heavy, in one person's opinion, my opinion, we have a top-heavy education system. The number of staffed people and the money doesn't often get to the classroom what do we do about that to give our kids a better shot at a better life? Well, you know, there's an ongoing debate about um, the impact of, of charter schools and educational choice um, on educational outcome. And, and the, the governor has not been a big supporter of, of choice. And I have been, frankly. I mean, it's one of those areas where we, we philosophically had some, some differences during the campaign. But um, by the same token, I think he, I think his mission is to create a, a system that can work. Um, haven't hasn't come in trying to undo a lot of the educational advances that were made over the course of the past eight years, but but making perhaps making them a little bit more reasonable when it comes to the amount of dollars that are being spent relative to dollars that are invested in public education. So, obviously, he's a big champion of public education and, and is going to continue to be an advocate for that. Um, I think. We've we've got to improve overall the climate in our our educational systems with things that you can't necessarily legislate. You can't legislate more parental involvement. Right. Um, you can do things that try and incentivize parents and students to do better and to recognize opportunities that exist by staying in school. Um, we we've done a little bit better with our overall dropout rates in Louisiana. That's a positive thing. And I think the the biggest advancement and the biggest potential for positive change is the movement toward preparing people for the workforce during their secondary careers, during Amen. their high school careers, right. and putting them in a position to be able to be introduced to job opportunities and earn credit while they're in high school. Uh, working on some workforce development. And, and that's, you know, we were late to the game in creating community colleges in Louisiana and two-year institutions and advancing two-year degrees. But we're we're starting to do that in earnest. And it, it's going to pay dividends for us where people recognize they don't necessarily have to have a four-year degree to be successful. But we want to create an atmosphere where those who are capable and qualified and, and desirous of a four-year education to get a professional degree um, have that opportunity as well. We're, we're making some progress on the educational front, but we've got a long way to go. One of the things with Louisiana, and you and I have had this conversation so many times about the way the state government works, and that is the amount of contracts that the state offers and the way that the state has done work with businesses that contract with government. And some of the numbers are just ridiculous. And I know that you guys can't fix that in one year, especially with everything going on. But do you have a plan to address uh, the money that the state has spent in the past on things that, in my opinion, don't really benefit us going forward? It's just boondoggles for people who have cozied up to government over the years. Well, that, Clay, that's an overly broad statement, and that's one that I, I don't completely wholeheartedly agree with. I think there are examples, but I think they're more isolated than the norm where you have those so-called boondoggles. I mean, uh, individuals have tried to make a big deal out of, of those isolated events as, as, and to suggest that that's the norm. And what I've been able to find during this year as we've been peeling back the onion on that is that is more the exception than the rule. We have dramatically reduced the number of contracts in Louisiana. Um, but we still have too many. We have yeah. 15,000, but yeah. everything is evidenced by a contract. Sure. Every relationship between a parish and, an, and the state government, every, uh, every del- for example, the delivery of nursing care, of physician care in um, 
in, to indigents, all those are represented by contracts, so the number can be a little misleading. The top 50 contracts from a dollar standpoint comprise about 90-plus percent of the dollars we spend on contracts with third parties in Louisiana. That's because we don't have the workforce to handle the pharmaceutical needs of Medicaid or, or of those state employees who are in the group benefits program. You outsource that. And people who advocate public-private partnerships have to recognize that those public-private partnerships have to be evidenced by a contract or more than one contract. So contracting in and of itself is not a bad policy, but it, there is a potential for abuse. And, and the answer to your question is the governor's very first executive order or one of the first executive orders he issued almost a year ago was directing us, my, my divi the division of administration, which I had, um, to examine these contracts and to uh, reduce the number and to reduce the size where possible. And we're working closely with cabinet heads and agency leaders to do just that. And as we make these additional cuts in the budget, one of the main first things we're asking is, how many contracts do you have? What have you done to eliminate third-party contracts or to reduce the scope of what's being done? So you're going to see some continued progress in this area. And um, the administration is committed to it. The legislature is demanding it, and, and it's going to happen. I want to switch back for a moment to homeowners in the aftermath of the flood. Now, I'll throw two things at you to take back to back. One, the relationship with FEMA and Louisiana is just not good. <laughs> and and any FEMA is a bad four-letter word in Louisiana, and it goes back over 10 years. And there are still people who are trying to find out what their future is going to be because they've not yet heard from FEMA. That's not as bad as it was a month ago. Uh, just kind of update us on that. Where's the, the, the commission of administration, the governor on helping people mitigate the aftermath of that. And then what are options for home homeowners who are now upside down on their home? Not because they were careless, but because the cost of repairing it, uh, it just outshoots their money and the value of the property, if that makes any sense. The uh, relationship between the state and FEMA is so much better than it was a decade ago when we were dealing with FEMA really for the first time in any magnitude after Katrina. Yeah. So it, it's much better, and we've learned lessons, and FEMA's learned lessons, but there's still problems. And you, you see articles in the paper today about the uh, the cost of trailers, right. for example, and things right. like that, that that properly frustrate the public and frustrate us in, in government. Um, we're continuing to work with FEMA. There are challenges. There's no question. Um, there's some uncertainty for a lot of folks as to what they're going to do about rebuilding, and it's a it's a tough, arduous process. I mean, this was a, this was a terrible disaster for the state, and it mitigated or not mitigated by the fact that a lot of people didn't have insurance. They were not in flood zones. They never expected this, or if they were in a flood zone, they'd never flooded or had any expectation of it. So. Um, those individuals that didn't have insurance are having a, to deal with FEMA and deal with the frustrations of when they get their money. One of the biggest complaints I've had or, or in, I've heard uh, is individuals with insurance where the insurance companies are withholding payments from people, not giving them advances to be able to make the, the repairs they need to their, to their homes. It's a slow process, but it's one that, that um, we continue to work on. And, and uh, the Disaster Recovery Unit, what, what we call DRU, is, is in our department, in the, the Division of Administration. We've got some talented, experienced people in there that are working very hard to try and maximize the dollars we get from the federal government to deal with our state and local government problems and to assist individuals in getting the money they're entitled to from insurance companies um, and from FEMA, as well as just outright assistance they're going to get from the government to, to rebuild and to make decisions as to what to do. I think the biggest challenge we're facing overall, and this is no secret, you and I have talked about this, is the uncertainty that we see, particularly in Livingston Parish, but also in other affected parishes, uh, about people who are upside down on their mortgages and who just may decide to walk away from, from their, those homes rather than, than working to, uh, to try and uh, save them or work on some kind of refinancing. And, and that's the biggest challenge we have is to make sure that we, we rebuild, particularly in Livingston, because it, it's a tremendously well, highly populated now parish, a relatively wealthy parish, a great school system. And, and we need we need that parish to come back strong. And, and the leaders in that com, those communities, the mayor of Denham Springs, for example, they recognize that. They're working hard to make that happen. And options for homeowners who are thinking about walking away, because I've heard from a lot of people in different places that they're so concerned about it and they don't really know what that number is going to be. 
Yeah, and I don't have a good answer for them on, on exactly where to turn. There is one. I just don't have it at the tip of my tongue to be able to tell you. But I, I know that there, there are opportunities through FEMA, through programs that are being established, that, that our recovery task force that the governor's appointed is going to be working on very deliberately to try and make certain that those options are made available to people who are, who are out of their homes. And finally here, a couple last couple of questions. One, when you look at 2017, can you give us a preview of the agenda going into this new year? This is a fiscal-only legislative session that's coming up, and what that means is this is a year where the legislature does not have to be in a special session to address taxes. Um, and I think the, the recommendations of the, the task force that's been studying our tax system are going to be considered in the legislature. There are controversial areas of those recommendations, and we'll have to see what happens. This is an opportunity, though, for Louisiana to, to make some meaningful reforms along the lines that have been suggested for a number of years. And, and this is the, the challenge we're facing, given our, our budget problems. In addition to, to that, legislators can each file five bills that don't have anything to do with the budget. So you will see legislation particularly to deal with uh, criminal justice reform. This is a, an interesting bipartisan effort that's underway, not just in Louisiana but across the country, to try and reduce the prison population by um, not making every nonviolent offense punishable by extended jail sentences. And I think you're going to see some success in this area. There's a, there's a great spirit of bipartisanship here, a recognition in, along the, in, in business in general that we spend too much money locking people up and we need to spend more money uh, training them, educating them, preparing them for the workforce, and, and keeping our violent criminals absolutely locked up and staying locked up, but creating opportunities for others who have committed some nonviolent crimes to, to not have as long a sentence that makes them a burden on the taxpayer. And I think that'll be the main initiative you'll see that's not related to the budget in the legislative session. I want to throw this one at you. You just brought this back to mind. I thought that over the last eight years, mental health in Louisiana was pretty decimated. Uh, facilities that help deal with people who have mental illness, uh, they, a lot of them were closed. Uh, Sid Gotro and I have talked about here in East Baton Rouge Parish, the sheriff here, we've talked about the number of people that he's arrested, that he's got to separate from his general population because they're in there because of mental health issues. That's a big issue across the country, but here in Louisiana, we've got it bad. What do y'all do about that? It's a huge issue for us, and, and, it's, and it's part and parcel of this discussion that we're going to have about um, criminal justice reform and creating opportunities for those who suffer from mental illness to be able to be identified initially and treated rather than just thrown into jail and forgotten which is what happens in many respects. It was, it was disappointing to me that the tax that was on the ballot here in Baton Rouge failed. I was very surprised, frankly, at that, even though I know there's a general anti-tax sentiment. I was surprised to see in the, the elections in, in uh, November that the Council on Aging tax, for example, passed. But the tax that would have created a, a mental health treatment facility and had the backing of the law enforcement leaders in the parish got beat. And, and that was disappointing, frankly, because I thought that was a worthwhile endeavor that would have been a wise use of tax dollars. But it's, it's just an example of a glaring problem that we have. But when given the opportunity to address it, the people have said, well, if it's going to cost us more money, I'm, I'm not for it. Are you ever going to run for office again? Well, I've learned never to say never, but my, I have no plans whatsoever to do that, and my wife uh, has no plans for me to do it either. I can assure you I've, I've very much enjoyed my, my time in public service and was, was very, have been very grateful for the opportunity to do the things I've done. I'm enjoying what I'm doing now, being an integral part of, of uh, this administration and, and staying obviously very involved in, in government, but I don't see myself on, on the, um, offering myself up as a candidate anymore. Well, listen, my friend, I appreciate you being on again, and uh, I know you guys are working hard there, and you know, I wish you all the best. I think we live in a great state with fantastic people, and we owe it to ourselves to work hard to fix what's broken. Thank you so much for being on the show again. Thanks, Clay. Always good to visit with you.
This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue. And I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 mobile app. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Thanks again to Commissioner of Administration Jay Darden for being our guest on the 100th edition of The Clay Young Show. Now, special thanks to Dave Sorge, to uh, Orlanda, Carla here at my office, to Ashley, my graphic designer, to Neil and Ed, my voice talent guys on the show, and to Gordy Rush, who put us on the Talk 107.3 mobile app, to Stephanie Regal and friends of mine in the media, Matt Williams and so many others who have helped us get the word out and who have covered things that have happened here on this show. We truly appreciate you guys. And most importantly, thank you to all of you who listen to our show on a regular basis. And thank you to the guests who've come on to make this something special. I appreciate you more than you know. And all, everything I said in the open of the show I meant, we have the capacity to move this country where we want it to go, but it's got to be about making it better. And it's got to be about impacting our kids in a positive way. And we can't be perfect and we can't expect them to be perfect, but I think we ought to just give them a shot. And if they fail, let them fail because they tried and they didn't succeed. I just don't want them to fail because they never knew they had a chance. That's all. And handouts I just don't think are the way to get them there. Teaching them to be mentally tough and at least giving them the realization that they have options. That's all I'm saying. So we appreciate again Jay Darden for being our guest on this week's show, this week's edition of The Clay Young Show. On our next edition, I will have information about a press conference that I will be attending in Houston for Nick Toulier. And by the time some of you hear this show, the press conference will have happened. And we'll try to get James Toulier to be a guest on the show to update you on some of the details that you will hear. And so, like I said, I'm going to go over to Houston and be uh, there for the event. Probably grab a, grab a steak at Del Frisco's <laughs> while I'm there as well. So thanks for, again for listening, y'all. Don't forget, you can subscribe the show as we, it's to the show every week on your Apple or iOS device. You can log on to it at podcast225.com or get that Talk 107.3 mobile app. We appreciate you and see you next week on show number 101. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.